Welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. I have done almost 2,000 interviews on my program with all different types of healers who provide a multi-sensory and non-Western pedagogy in their practices. Their stories help to complete that circle of artistic authenticity which we all strive for. The cats I interview have been making a living on the bandstand for the last half century. They have dealt with good leadership and bad. They have come to different understandings of what love is. They have overcome a lot of adversity in their lives, and they are adept at playing all musics. For me, nowadays, labels and names have really gotten in the way of our ability to create communal spiritual music. One thing I've realized and been humbled by is the opportunity that has been given to me to gain knowledge and wisdom from the musicians whose tales I share with people in all parts of the world via the internet. Call it mass distance education, if you will. I have the opportunity to talk with individuals who have been on this earth longer than myself, have experienced societal shifts, and have invented and reinvented themselves in different musical settings in different parts of the country. As a rogue journalist, I'm searching for that fine line of connection from mind to body to soul. That's where the spirit emerges and what my whole show is about, how to create spiritual music. Jorge Calderon, an honor to welcome you to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thank you, Jay. Can you talk about um, if you ever had the um, experience or the opportunity to witness uh, religious drumming when you lived on the East Coast? Uh, people would refer to it as like Santeria, but it's actually like, you know, that's a, that's a Latin term. I'm just curious about Descarga, the first time you experienced spiritual spiritual discharge uh, through uh, drums. Well, uh, I can you know I was I was born in Puerto Rico and and um, the music I learned you know heard as a child growing up and going to you know we when you're born in a Latin, uh, Latin island like that like. Puerto Rico or Cuba, you you uh, you dance, you know. You Absolutely. Go, as a kid, you go to a, a birthday party of your of your friend at their house, and they play the music, and all the kids get up and dance. So it's it's a dance culture, it's a music culture. You listen to that music. As I grew up, I listened to all those, um, and also watched them on TV because they 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 used to come to these shows on TV from Cuba, from Mexico, from. Brazil and Puerto Rican uh, artists too. So it was all all around me that that kind of music. When Descarga came came to be like a thing that they were doing, I heard all those Cuban Descarga records and uh, Puerto Rican ones and everything. When I moved to New York, I was already playing in a, in a band, and we used to do like our our mix of. Of R and B meets, you know, it, it was like R and B. We did a lot of Motown stuff. Ugh. I used to love Motown because Motown used congas and and, and it was it influenced by Latin kind of thing. Some of those records have that kind of beat, like a cha cha beat, like like uh, Marvin Gaye Hitchhike. You know, it's a total cha cha cha, and, and you know things like that. That I was <laughs> like, like we were going, oh yeah, we like that. So we used to do all that stuff in that band, plus some originals. But coming from where I, where I come from, it only always had this this feel that I had translated into what I loved about R and B and rock and roll, which to this day is what I do. 
Now, as far as Santeria stuff, I really actually got more uh, into it here mm. in L.A. Mm. Because as I was playing in uh, maybe 70, I think around 79, 78, actually 79, I I started playing in between some some road gigs that I was doing with a couple of uh, folks. Uh, I was doing this gig with uh, Miguel Cruz and, and Skins, and he had he was Cuban, and he had a whole uh, Cuban band that was all percussion, congas, timbales, bongos, flute, and and a, and a, a tulsa guitar, which sounded like a like a tres or something. Mm. And we did all kinds of Afro-Cuban music. And we used to even go to schools and, and have a seminar for kids about Cuban music. And so we did that. And, and some nights, you know, he says, you know, I, 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 I want to do this other gig with my friend Luis, Luis Conte at the time, mm. who, who's, a, who's become a great percussion. He always was a great percussion. He's become a lot of a great session and road guy for a lot of big big names anyway so and he's a, a dear friend of mine so i so then we would do these couple of gigs like that that it was all santeria beats and religious kind of thing that i did not understand the religious aspect aspect because i'm i'm not really into religion and church and all that. I'm just more of a spiritual kind of guy. Absolutely, man. Yeah. <laughs> right. I did, you know man. I mean, like, yeah. nature, you know, spirituality, <laughs> yeah. you know, the power of, of, of all that, but not like the, you know, going to church and, and giving money to... Uh, People that do crazy. I'm, stuff. I'm the same. No, I'm, I'm, first of all, there's no, there's no reason to give money to people that corrupt things. I'm, you know, to me, what's? I, did you just going back for a minute? Wh- yep. Were you, were you hip? Did you get a chance to to see Mongo or Willie Bobo? I'm just trying to figure out. Like being in New York, I mean, Ray Mantia's from. Uh, that yeah. part of the world, uh, rest in peace, and uh, you know Eddie Gomez, uh, all those guys it was all dance music. But yet then, I know. there were other cats, and I know you're not. We've been through this. You're not like you know. I mean, you do play percussion, uh, but you're not a trap drummer. But I mean, there were cats that would see Pablo Landrum or these guys, like you know, just like going for hours. And the point I'm bringing up is just is exactly what is the idea of. You know, the healing component of the rhythm and how spiritual it is. And like, if that was something, because obviously birthday parties and the music's part of the culture, but did you, did you recognize early on that rhythm could heal you as well? Oh yeah, of course. You know, music in itself is, it's a, it's a spiritual thing and it's a healing thing of any kind of music, as long as it's good. Bad music won't do that. <laughs> That's but, right, dude. That is but right. Good music, even <laughs> if it's Frank Sinatra singing a, a perfect uh, mm-hmm. recording of his, will you'll go. Even if you're not into it, you you know something will click into you saying, "Okay, this is good. Right. This is perfection at its best." Mm-hmm. Or it can be a Latin thing. It can be a rock and roll thing. It could be the Beatles singing one of their really good songs. So, uh, and uh, so I see it like that. Now, getting back to what you were saying, I. Uh, I, I never went to see somebody. I used to, like I said, when I was a kid in Puerto Rico, I used to see them on TV. And I saw um, Ismael Rivera, who used to be like the greatest singer of them all. Mm-hmm. 
uh, uh, in, in uh, Spanish music, uh, uh, you know, what they later on called salsa, but it was just uh, called uh, whatever it was. You know? <laughs> there was no name. For, there was no uh, na- was labels. Latin, yeah, was, I did. It was Latin music. It was just Latin music. Sure. But, but anyway, I used to see them on TV, and I saw them at the park playing live. And, you know, so I grew up with that stuff. And uh, But when I came to New York, I was more into rock. I, listen, I came to New York in, 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 the, in the early, in the mid, middle of 67, which was the summer of love, man. Wow, I mean, was, man, dude, like, that is a heavy time. It was man. like Sly and the Family Stone and, and the birds and, the, and, the, and you know, every, everything was it, it's, uh, Hendrix. And so, you know, Procol Harum. And All the British, yeah, it's insane, were, yeah, exactly. insane. Traffic, uh, uh, staple singers, when they were just like them standing up with, with just their dad playing guitar. It was just in May, amazing. So I was more into that than, than going to see, but I always listened at home. I had records, so I, I would listen to my records of, of Latin music. But to, uh, to see people, I did that later, way later sure, on. Sure, sure. You know? When, when, uh, can you talk a little bit about your journey? Uh, you know, like what was the catalyst for you to come to the States? And, and I guess maybe to, you know, sort of add on that, like, uh, was, 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 was a, were you, when did the music, um, basically find you and were you determined to basically make a career in music? And that's why you came to the States. Yeah. Well, I, you know, like I said, I always like uh, loved listening listening to music. When I was a kid, let's say nine years old, eight years old, nine years old, uh, that's when. Uh, I mean, I was listening to all that Latin music at home, and I had records of this Ivory uh, Red and Cortijo, the band, and every. And, you know, I used to play them all the time. But at the same time, I got hip to rock and roll, and I'm talking about. I don't want to date myself, but I, it was it was Little Richard. It was. Uh, Elvis Presley was it was uh, actually um, uh, the guy that really f- freaked me out was uh, uh, it was like Fats Domino or something. Yeah, Fats Domino. Fats Domino. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Little Richard, uh, but uh, Bebop Balula. What, what was his name? Uh, Whoa, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not hip to that cat. Uh, anyway, you're not dating I yourself, mean, dude. You just I lived mean, through the best time in music, man. Exactly. Yeah. So I, a friend of mine's brother was going to school in the States and then he came back with these records and, and we, you know, we were just playing at home. We were younger than him. And so he left these 45s and we, we played that day. We played, uh, Lucille by Little Richard and Bebop Alula, uh, by Gene Vincent. That was his name. Well, Gene and, uh, Vincent. I, I Gene have Vincent. seen that name. Right. Okay. So Bebop Alula. For some reason, I dug that even more than Elvis Presley. For some reason, <laughs> he nailed it so well yeah. on that record. It was just the, the thing. So we played it one after the other, just those two records all day. Like it was just a, a, from outer space to me. It was like, oh my God, listen to this stuff. So I, I got enamored by rock and roll, rhythm and blues, Fat Summit over Richard, um, Elvis, uh, all all the groups that were happening back in '56, and you know Bill Haley, of course, had the big hit with "Rock Around the Clock" and all that stuff. So as a kid, I found myself going to to the record store and listening to in the booths. They, they used to have booths, and you could listen to it or buy 
uh, a record. I remember my first record was a 78 <laughs> of Long Tall Sally. Oh, Blue this Ridge. is fantastic. You had the Victrola you were playing it on? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I love this So I, I would play my stuff and really loud in my room, and, and my father used to get mad at me. <laughs> You know, turn it down. It sounds like a dog fight in there. You know, like a dog fight. You kidding me? <laughs> Dude, this is the most visceral burning thing ever, man. Yeah. So as soon as I, you know, got older in school and stuff, and friends, you know, met some friends that that were already starting to play something. So I got this drummer, uh, friend of mine, and got together with him and he said hey man i know this guy who plays sax you know you want to so i already was noodling on the guitar i really wanted to learn guitar and i had learned some chords on my own and there was this uh great guitarist uh in puerto rico that you knew all the bossa nova stuff and all the and rock and roll and all that stuff I, Everything he knew, everything. So I, I, I used to go to his house, and he was, oh man, let me show you this, and he would show me, like playing in front of me, not really telling me, telling me do this, do that. Absolutely, just, just playing it. Yeah, I yeah, dig yeah. it. I just I look dig at it. him and I said, yeah. oh yeah, I remember how he put his fingers. And so I learned kind of like that. Then I, I started, and what happened to me was that I, in, in bands, I started playing a guitar, but. Oh, we need a bass, and we didn't have a bass because there was other, another guitar player. So I would play the bass line on the guitar. Mm. So I, I that's how I got hip to, because I loved the sound of the bass, especially in jukeboxes. You listen to the music in the old jukeboxes, and the bass was so clear and beautiful. And because uh, <clears throat> it was playing 45 records in this box, right? Um and uh, so I, I ended up playing both, you know. That's why I ended up uh, playing guitar and bass in different bands. You know, I would be in a band later on, and we would lose a guitar player, and we couldn't find a guitar player. Then I would I would play guitar. Or if we lost a, a bass player, we couldn't find a bass player, then I would go to bass. It was easier to get a guitar player, you know. So I would change back and forth. And to this day, that's what I do on my records I play. That is, I mean, that is just, I mean, I was watching, uh, well, we can get into this later, but I mean, it just, um, like, it's just funny, like, cats like Louise Bonfa, were you hip to him? Like, because, like, I mean, I was just transcribing this interview with John Trope, this great studio guitar player, and he was like, he's like, I transcribed, uh, Bonfa did a solo guitar album, and he did that tune tenderly, and it was the first time that... Trope had heard someone playing uh, chords and bass line together, and that actually he copied that song and, got, and he got into Berkeley because of that. So, I mean, like, there were some cats that were. Was he one of those cats that was influential to you in, on records? Of course. Like I said, we listened to a lot of Brazilian stuff. Right. And my, and my friend, this, this older guy, that, uh, you know, he was a fantastic guitar player, he, used, he knew all that stuff too. All the Brazilian stuff, and Luis Monfa, he 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 wrote some such beautiful music. He wrote Manja de Carnaval, you know that oh. that song. It's a theme song from Black Orpheus. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he wrote a lot of the music in Black Orpheus, and uh, and and stuff like that. And he was like, I mean, he was all those guys, him and Joe Beam, and and all the, but uh, you know, he was like the master of that stuff, and. Uh, all the other guys, they all kind of learned from each other down there in Brazil. 
the music was enchanting to me. I mean, it was just beautiful music. The Bolasete so. too, maybe. Um, I just, could you talk about your journey to the States? Did your whole family go there? No, no, no. It was, no, I <laughs> no, I, I, I was just uh, the only, um, uh, Rebel in the house. Oh boy, then I get you. Where's he? What's this guy gonna be? You, you were too big for yeah. Puerto Rico, man. Yeah. Well, it got that way. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I hate to say this, but it was uh, we. I started the. Ba- I started a band when I when I was uh, when I started. We we uh, we ended up with this little band, and we only played instrumentals because nobody could sing. <laughs> So, so we could play instrument. We had a saxophone. We played tequila. We had uh, then we found this other guitar player. We used to call him Pinky because he had a pink Stratocaster. He was a, a total ace, man. He knew all the venture stuff, oh, all the man. stuff. I mean, all that intricate stuff that they, he knew it. So we ended up playing all the venture stuff and all any any instrumental that we could ever find, Wipeout and all that stuff. So we we were that kind of band. And because we play so much ventures, we called ourselves the vultures. <laughs> you were the fucking vultures. So I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's fine, man. I love it. <laughs> and and uh, so uh, so from then, and then I started singing. I remember that I we were doing a gig, and I, there was this doo-wop ballad that I, and I I forget which one it was, but I loved that song, and I wanted to sing it. And, and one night, I said, let's do this song. I was playing guitar and I had a bass player. He had a huge pompadour, man. It was amazing. I mean, that guy was like, he took care of it like if it was a baby. When a bus would pass by, you know, he would turn his head so that the wind wouldn't blow. Right, now he's protecting I mean, he it. Like I love it, dude. That, that kind of guy. Yeah. But he was a great bass player. So. So we did the song, and I sang, and I said, you know what? I think I could sing, man. And I started singing, you know, from then on. So we, anyway, years went by, and we developed into this bigger band where I did a lot of singing, and I used to do, oh, you know, 99 and a half, and, you know, all these Wilson Pickett things, and I did some Beatles stuff and Slow Down, and, well, that's not a Beatles song, but anyway, some songs. Mm. And uh, so we became a band. It was called The Living End. Uh, so we we were gigging. We had we had done a lot of gigs around the San Juan area. And believe believe it or not, there was a a kind of like a a rock and roll thing going down in San Juan and in Puerto Rico. There were there were the Challengers. There were this other other band called the forget the names. You're talking about guys that actually, like, the guys that that wound up attracting, uh, making records in the States eventually. No. Unfortunately, they all, like, it was a craze that went on. Right. We were like, so we we would just gig together and stuff, and everybody was, like, uh, jealous of each other. (laughs) So it was like, this was like 65, 66 kind of range? Uh, yeah, Maybe around yeah sixty four sixty five yeah right. around when the yeah. Beatles came exactly out. yeah uh, in the states so it was just like a lot of people like very sort of like there was a lot of petty yeah, petty dramas so, yeah so one guy played uh, one one band played played a lot of Beatles which which was like uh, I really I'm not a fan of like Beatle bands you know that play a lot of Beatles because the Beatles had their own synergy and 
and then nobody can sound like them. You know, if you, if you don't have a drummer that plays like Ringo, you're not going to I mean, sound come like on. I mean, also, I just want to say something, Jorge. When I listen, <laughs> what's so beautiful about what you said is, like, forget about comping the Beatles. It's like everybody is influenced by them. And actually, I can hear in your own original tunes that you were influenced by them. But you're not trying to yeah. sound like them, you know? No, of course not. Yeah. And also, you know, and, and, and I mean, there was a lot of great, I and mean, a lot of people just like, uh, you know, kneel at the altar, the Beatle altar, uh, altar of the Beatles, you know, it's like, oh my God, dude, did you know that there were other drummers that were amazing? Like, I forget his name right now, but the guy that played with Little Richard was like a, like a human freight train. Absolutely, and, dude. You know, like a total, like, I mean, he, he, he you know, so... Yes, Ringo is in the in, in in the in a clan of great drummers, but he wasn't the guy. There was it was not like you know there was Ringo, and then there were other people. No, but so anyway, uh, we we all these bands had different things. Uh, different. We had a, a band that played a lot of R and B with the rock and roll and stuff more than the other ones. So. And we had a female female singer that played congas and the band, and we traded vocals. And so we had something going. That wow. The fans didn't wow. Have. And we had a great organ player. Loving this. Who, who actually, he, when we actually, well, let me, let me backtrack. Uh, we, so we, we were gigging a lot. We did a battle of the bands one time, you know, it was a big deal <laughs> at the stadium. And, uh, and we won. So we, you know, it was like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Are we going to keep doing this here? I mean, we got to get out of here because there's nothing else we can do. So we got a gig in, in, in St. Thomas, which is the island, you know, down, to, down Absolutely. to the east of Puerto Rico. And we played at this place called, place called Duffy's, which was where the Mamas and the Papas had formed. You know, they had the, 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 the oh you know, the creaky, creaky Alley, Creaky's Alley or something. They wrote the song about this alley where Duffy's is. And, and they had been there and done that and then gone back to California. So we played there. We had a gig for like a couple of months. And then one, one day, in 67, early 67, our road manager guy, he's a crazy guy, but a really warm-hearted guy. He was a hustler. I mean, he said, "Man, I think I got us a gig in New York." <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> man, gig, that is quite... a, yeah. We got us a gig in New York <laughs> at the Rolling Stone discotheque on the East Side, forty-six or forty-seven oh, Street, my something, God, that is... on the East Side, Third and and something, and so. And we said, really? He said, yeah, man, it's for real, man. We can go. And, you know, so we packed up our stuff, took an airplane, and it just went to New York, man, and started gigging, the, the, you know, like a day or two later, like five sets a night, five half-hour sets a night. Hold on. I just want to stop for a second. No contracts, only just based on this good, this wild-hearted man, this this manager yeah, you had. He, 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 he got the gig with, 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 the, with the club guy. I don't know. What the connection was. So insane. And so you, and it was real though. You got in there and it boom. Was real. No, yeah. we got it. We, we, we played there for, for months. Unbelievable. Oh yeah, for months. And we were living at a hotel. <laughs> the Rolling like, Stone uh, you know. discotheque, man. Yeah, so we saw the two, two cages on the sides of the stage with Gogo girls. Absolutely. That was it. That was the time period. That, that, that was it, that man. Kind of Holy cow. Oh, yeah. Holy. And cow. they loved us because we played Motown and, 
we played Temptations and then Get Ready and all that stuff that was going on. And, uh, Unbelievable. And, and also uh, did a lot of stuff and we had congas and, you know, it was a thing. And we had a great drummer and so we, we were happening. So we stayed in New York uh, even after we stopped uh, working at the Rolling Stone discotheque. We worked other places like it on Dean's and this other uh, other place that we started gigging a lot around New York in clubs that you could go up and and do your thing and and or, tr- or trade sets with another band. I remember actually I remember uh, us playing with the Elephants Memory. That's way before they joined up with Leonard. You know, before they they, they met together. Absolutely, you know, we, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, it was funny because we were we were rhythmic and, and tight and, and doing our thing, and they were like so loose and like Grateful Deadish kind of <laughs> like kind of like 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 so loose. I was going too, and I heard these guys get gigs, and I, I was like really not understanding. And then later on, they met up with Leonard. I went, "Oh my God, what's the world coming to?" But Did you? I, I want to ask you about one club. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you about one club. Uh, did you were you hip to the to the, to the salsa club the Corso? Mm-mm. No. Man. Okay. So yeah, I, anyway, so so so. I knew about uh, the one on Fifty Second Street. Though. What was it? Uh, the Palladium. Uh, it was a, yeah, Palladium. I was going to say in those in those because uh, Charles Neville from the Neville Brothers was in a band around that time. They were playing yeah. with Girls in Cages, um, <laughs> which <laughs> yeah. is just so surreal at this point, but. Um, were you able to sneak it? I mean, were you even, um, were you even like getting off on original tunes at that point? Were you able to sneak one in during the set or were you just into like the guys were like, do not play, just play with the cats, with the, what the fans know and what they want to hear. We snuck a few. We snuck we a snuck few. A few in. because they were in that style of, of, uh, you know, R&B-ish, rock and roll kind of thing. And then it started, it, it was 67, 68, the people that we started, everybody was was dealing with uh, jamming, like making a song longer than it should be. <laughs> you know, no, you I dig, man, I dig, I dig. Everybody's yeah. like yeah. some kind of drug, you know? Uh-huh. Like, like you're jamming and being psychedelic. Yeah, LSD, dry, just leave the head of the tune and blow for 20 minutes, yeah. I know, and I hated it. You didn't like it. You didn't dig it. Okay. I, yeah. You know, okay, some songs, yeah, some songs we can do that, but let's not do it in every song. That's man. right. That's right. <laughs> well, no, but also you came from, uh, I mean, you are a, a like you're a bass, rhythm, guitar, bass player, guitar, rhythm, guitar player. It wasn't like you were trying to be someone who's going to stretch out and play as many bars as they wanted. I, I can't even imagine what it must have been like because. Even the bands that eventually became known for that, uh, well, like they had, they had you, their fans let them suck for a long time before they actually got it together, like the dead, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I, I on bass is, is cool because no matter what, how, how long the jam is, you you know, the bass is much more fun to just keep, you know, digging dead. in, digging in, and yeah. coming up with, with cool things to do on every 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 section that comes up again but on guitar you're just doing that rhythm that after a while dude you know let's let's go to the next song because you know i was a guitar player at that point in the band i had been a bass player before but now we had a different bass player and i was on guitar again were you doing were you doing any kind of leads or was it you were strictly rhythm 
I wasn't a noodler. You know, no, because you know what I'm saying, Jorge, is that you can tell you can tell a great story in in in, in 50 seconds. You know, you don't have to. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be some John well, McLaughlin. That's what, I, like. that's what I do. Yeah, I, I exactly. Just, I just play. Uh, you know, what the song needs as a lead part or a se- lead section, mm. and I, I know how to do that. But if you give me, uh, you know, a whole bunch of bars and bars, I'll play something interesting and then I'll, I'll go to a more rhythmic thing because I, I don't want to be... I love it, you know, dude. Like I freaking love it, dude. Say what you need to say and get out. Give me a break. I dig. So, yeah. So I do that and I do it on my record too when I play guitar and I play the, the, the lead section myself. I just play like, you know, like the Beatles used to do that. I mean, either McCartney or, or Harrison would come up with a great lead and they would do it and, and it's what the song needed and it sounded great and they would leave it. Right, exactly. It was just, it, it's just funny. Well, we can get into it later, but I love, I you know, to me, like just sort of saying what you need to say, then blending back into the tune. There's nothing more uh, scintillating than that as opposed to, and again, I like some of the blowing, you know, if you're not repeating ideas and stuff, but for the oh, most, yeah. I just yeah. like that, yeah. that conversational thing. And, and I think that you, yeah. that, that's what you were about. Um, well, I'll tell you, uh, yeah. I grew up with the, with the 40, the records and the, and the top 10 uh, at the time that I was a kid and stuff where the records were concise. And even uh, on a, on a two minute, two and a half minute song, there would be the instrumental part would be like in your face, exactly what the song needed. And then back to the song. You exactly. know, even Chuck Berry records. I mean, Chuck Berry was the king of that. He would give you, you know, some some part here, and then he would keep, you know, with, with all those wordy, beautiful, wordy, uh, funny things that he would used to talk about, and then do a little, couple of lead again, you know, a couple of lead parts, and and, and R and B records too. So, but also, there's something to be said when when. Uh, when when you can stretch a song, I mean, I ended up years years later here in LA playing bass with uh, David Lindley. I saw the videos last night, man. Lindley, by the way, I'm sorry to cut you off. I don't know if you know this, no, but no. he's in the hospital right now. I know. I just want to say I've done four interviews with that man, and I was watching these videos last night, and it was so beautiful because it was like you guys were having a ball. And the the music was burning, and and it wasn't like it wasn't forced, it wasn't contrived. So in no, that no, sense, it was, it was beautiful. Yeah, it was a great, great band, a great combination. Unreal. You know, a f- funny story about that that when when because uh, I had worked on his this uh, blue album, that for Radio X album. Yep. Uh, I I came in late, you know, but he he pulled me in to <clears throat> to write a song with him. <clears throat> and I and we wrote this song, a song called Rayo X, Rayo X. So, uh, and I sang backgrounds on it and stuff. And that's how I came into the circle. And Jackson, when, when the when the thing was finished, Jackson Brown, who was producing it, called me up one day. He says, "You know, I would you like to try for for Lindley's band? He's putting together a band, and he's a guitar player." And I said, "Sure." So I went there, and I brought my guitar and uh, we started playing. He was playing a lot of reggae stuff. So, so 
guitar, reggae without a bass. And he had a great drummer, Ian Wallace, you know, so <clears throat> um, reggae without a bass is like, it's Almost bizarre. I can't away. even admit. Like, admit yeah. You know, so, <laughs> so at some point we jammed and everything because I wanted to, you know, to see what I what I could do and let him let him let him hear it. But I said, Lindley, you know something? Uh, I have a bass in the in the trunk of my car. Maybe maybe I can bring it in. We can jam some some of this reggae. So I said, oh, yeah, sure. So I went and got my bass, and I plugged it in, and we started playing bass. And, like, I swear to you, man, like, not even, like, less than a minute into this song and group that we were playing, and he stopped everybody, and he got in my face and pointed at me and said, you're the bass player. Dude, that is so beautiful. <laughs> what a, that's why I do my show, man. I, these are the greatest stories <laughs> in the world, man. It's true, man. So that it became the bass player. So I, I, you know, we had a great band. We got a rhythm guitar player. We Smoking were, band, dude. The yeah. guy Larson or something. I forget the guy. The, the, Bernie, Bernie Larson. Yeah, he lives up in Ohio. <laughs> you know, I, I just, dude, honestly, man, like that band, I was watching the videos and there's cause a lot of video content on YouTube and you guys are smoking and you're just playing. You're not getting, you're not getting too complex on the bass, but it's just grooving. It's just so no, it, yeah, just keeping it together yeah. in the groove. I mean, I mean, in Wallace, and then later on with Wilfredo Reyes. But um, let me ask you a question: When you going going yeah. going back to you guys are playing around New York, you're singing for your supper. Did you? Yeah. Did you, I just want to get this on the table here for history's sake? Did you venture into radio registry or get into the studios in New York at all for anything? It doesn't matter what it was. Did you? Did you consider trying to get into that studio scene? Yes, uh, not not as a, as a session guy, mm -hmm. but but a couple of people were interested in recording us, and we had meetings with the Tolkens. He's got you know the, the famous Tolkens, absolutely, yeah, producing people, and uh, nothing came out of that. Uh, then uh, Ellie Greenwich wanted to give us a song, and she actually, and we actually. Uh, Actually, actually, we actually maybe have done that, recorded that. I really don't remember. Was it like a demo or something? But I'm just saying nothing. Was a anything pressed? Yeah. Songs. yeah, it was yeah. kind of like a Bird Backrack song in a way. Wow. Uh, you know, but, but uh, nothing came out of that. But then this guy, Shadow Morton, who had uh, done the Shangri-Las, you know, like the uh, wow. leader of the pack and all that wow. stuff. He was like the East Coast Phil Spector kind of Dead. dude. Yeah. You know, he's a weirdo with a hat. But he was very, very talented. He was very, very talented. Well, he knew, he knew, so he, he, he was, he was into you guys. Yeah, he, he dug it, especially because we had the, the, the singer, uh, uh, a female conga player. Of course, singer. yeah. So, yeah, so, so we ended up going to Long Island, to Hempstead, where he used to record at this place and doing, and, and recording some stuff with him. So we started recording, and it was leading up into an album, and then he he disappeared, and 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 it's where is he? Oh man, he you know he does that. He sometimes he you know just goes away and can't find him. What? To me now, as an older man and everything, I I, I know they say something must have turned him on off <laughs> about the band or something, saying, "Oh, these guys are a bunch of losers. I'm going home," because we ended up we ended up. Recording the re the album with his second engineer or something, and he, you know, it, it is what it is. But 
Well, I'm sorry. What's the the the, the he he? Uh, what what's the, that album actually got pressed and is is out? What's the name of it? You have, you have... Well, it, <laughs> we we were called the Living End, but we couldn't use the Living End once we came to the states. Uh, I mean, in Puerto Rico, we're like I said, we we're famous because we were the best band, blah blah blah, and they used to call us Living End. Sure, right? I mean, we were the Living End, but everybody, oh, the Living End, you know, everybody else would call us that. When we came to New York. Um, we couldn't use the name because there was another band with that name that already had a record, that already had a legal use of the name, whatever. So we had to change it. And uh, and I, I never kind of liked it, I, but the, the band became Space. Oh, my God, man, dude. Wait, hold on. And what, dude, I am going to find that record immediately. Oh, please, oh please dude, oh, this is on. So wait, you, but I mean, I, I, no, I know I you didn't like the, said no, no, Jorge, because you know what it is? I know, I mean, this is important only because, um, uh, the all music guide, <laughs> which is not the Holy Grail, uh, it, it says your first studio date was, I want to get into this deeply, but, uh, Lambert and Nuttycomb, but I know that wasn't your first time in the studio, so Space, Space was the band. Yeah, that was in New York. We recorded in, in Long Island. Finished that record that we started with by Shadow Morton. Actually, we had to re-record the songs we had done with him because he took off and he didn't want anything uh, that that had his... I, I don't know, dude. It was weird. So we had to re-record the songs and do the whole album with this other guy. I just hated it. I was going, oh, this feels weird to me. But, but the record came out. It is what it is. Uh, it was very, you know, was, I don't know. We were young. I, it's, I, I mean, it's I just it's the kind of music. Like, I mean, I'll I'll go to my grave with that. I'll go to my grave with that record, dude. I don't. I mean, was it all original tunes, pretty much? Uh, a lot of them were. I think we did some 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 cover or something. And then, <laughs> so basically, yeah. I I also like. Were you? Like granted, you were doing you you had a, a certain bag that your band was doing, but at that time, did you know like were you hip to like Danny Korchmar and James Taylor, David Clayton Thomas? That scene that was going on, were you hip to them at all or no? Well, I knew Clayton Thomas from New York when he had the hits with uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Yeah, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Danny, I met here in L.A. We I was living in Laurel Canyon. And uh, and uh, 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 my front door in house and uh, <clears throat> front door was open and this beautiful big white uh, Alaskan kind of dog, long haired, uh, came in and he was really friendly and we're petting him and I said, oh man, look at this beautiful dog and and then in comes Danny because oh man, oh my God, there he is, you know, and, he, and it was his dog. What, dude? That's this how, is because I mean, man. seriously, man, like. I'm feeling the spirit of the other cat I need. I don't want to, we're jumping around here, but I love it. Is, uh, uh, Smitty, uh, uh Smitty Smith. Did you, Smitty. Smitty. Dude, yeah, so Smitty, I never met him, Smitty. but I mean, I mean, I, I interviewed Eric Mercury, rest in peace. And he went way uh, back with Smitty in Toronto. 
And Smitty's just everywhere, man. Like, and I know Cooch and him might have lived in similar neighborhood in Topang. I don't even know, man. I just, to yeah, me, yeah. We, we lived close together, and Cooch actually did a record with Smitty back then. Yeah, he, uh, he oh. did some kind of like a thing where he knew Smitty all through the record. He knew Smitty very well. I met Smitty the first day he came from Toronto. Drive, drove with his wife Tish, and uh, and she was pregnant with the with the first kid, and and they. Uh, I was hanging with a band from Toronto called Bush, and they were great, great musicians with Donny Troiano. Whoa. And, oh, and dude, that is Glenn, sick, man. Whitey Glenn on drums. Oh, I mean, my And they God. were amazing, amazing band. I used to hang with them, and they told me, hey, man, but tonight we have this friend from Toronto coming down. But but And, and that's how I met him. It's fresh. He, and you're talking like, about he drove down to New York from Toronto. From Toronto, no, I'm talking to L.A. L.A. He went to. He, he was. To LA. Oh my yeah, yeah. god, yeah, yeah. that's. And we, I was at the gig, and he came at some point at that night. He he drove off to the parking lot and up to the parking lot, and we we met, and everybody was great. And, oh, Smitty, man, and, and I, from then on, I knew Smitty, and I kept and I started playing with him, and he played with me, and and all that stuff. But Smitty was from Norfolk, Virginia. Original, really? I mean, he, he yeah, he, he he was he wasn't Canadian. He 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 just went up there because he was gigging, and he ended up in a band that had a big hit in Canada. Oh, I I documented. I dude, I got. I don't. I'll, I'll look it up right now. But Mercury broke it all. I I was just Smitty is everywhere, man. He's ubiquitous. His spirit is everywhere. And I'm just like a, Jorge is. You're right in that yeah. group, man. You're right there with Keltner and Smitty. Like yeah. to me, like. Yeah. But I, but, but yeah, so, he was so, a so, beautiful organ player. There's nobody played organ like Smitty. He was the master. And, and like in simplicity, too. Groove, simplicity, rhythm. You know, not, he's always smiling, man. He's always smiling. You know, because a lot of guys do that. As soon as they don't know what to do, they start imitating Jimmy Smith. <laughs> <laughs> not Smitty, though. No, dude, listen. Not, not <laughs> Hold on. But this is so, so, okay. We space comes. Space comes. You're kind of disgusted by the whole thing. What was the ins, the impetus for you to uh, leave New York? Head. I mean, it seems kind of common sense, but oh, oh yeah. And what happened was that we 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 did that record. That record came out. Uh, it was a small label related to Capitol Records. In uh, Capitol Records was in L.A. So. I think it was called Hand Records. It had a big hand on the label, palm of the hand. Dude, I'm going to be finding this thing immediately, dude. <laughs> so, so they said, you know, the manager we had at the time, his name was Jack Riley, also the late Jack Riley, but he he ended up being, you know, uh, you know, writing songs with Brian Wilson and stuff, and being part of the Beach Boys scene later later on. But Jack was our manager, and he. Um, he said, man, you got you guys. We have to move to LA because this is what blah 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 blah. So we, you know, we got all talked into moving to LA, and and like all the rock and roll stories, we moved to LA. The band broke up. <sighs> it's like we, you know, but, but I stayed. I stayed, and a couple of guys in the band stayed, and we we started doing gigs as as a as a smaller group of uh, band, like a trio plus a singer. And uh, and we started getting it as rice and beans, and and we used to 
And then that was the name of the band. That was the name of the band. That's how I met him because we he had just come from New York. Oh my god! At the same time, and we were doing a gig in Venice at some club out here on Venice by the beach, and we and then we went there and said, okay, you're doing a set, and this other band is going to do a set. The name of the band was Twice Nicely, and that was. Well, it was Wadi and his and his bros from from out there. Oh my yeah. God, this is wait. You guys were called Rice and Beans. So it was just like <laughs> kind of like Smitty that I met him just as we, you know, Wadi had just come into town with the, all those people and his brother Jimmy, and we met that time and we've been tight ever since <laughs> ever since that day. So. It, it's just so a wonderful weird. story how things have happened to me. You know, the connections that I've made out of, like, the blue. It's just like, boom, there it is. It's, it's all spirit, man. I just freaking... Yeah. Wait, was, was the place in Venice called the Comeback Inn, by the way? No, it was... I think it was called the Beach House. This is my... First of all, the, 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 the group that Smitty was in in Toronto was this, called the Soul Searchers. They're yes. the ones. They're the ones that had those big. Hits. It was Eric Mercury and the Soul Searchers, but they had a bunch of big yeah. hits. Yeah. But then they had. Uh, uh, he went. He ended up with another band that had a humongous hit. Really. When I die. Da, 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 oh, I did. I got it. Oh yeah, I know that tune. Yeah. <laughs> you know that 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 was a huge hit. I mean, there's a video on YouTube of them doing it live. It's amazing. Wow! And you can see Smitty just singing the song. He was the singer, main singer. Dude, Smitty, the song the freaking player. Smitty, man. <laughs> so, wait, so, so, so the first of all, um, rice and beans as a trio. How did that change the band sonically? I mean, was it? Were did were. I'm curious about it because I mean you were playing it probably. Was just, uh, it, it was a it was a trio plus singer, so it was just bass, drums, guitar, and then the uh, uh, Tessie Cohen, the uh, the singer uh, that played congas too. So it was that kind of band. four pieces. Oh my wait wait we, Tessie, we, I know just, the dude. I was playing I was playing guitar, so we did a whole bunch of stuff, and we just do whatever we could, you know. Dude, this but is making me smile so other. much, dude. Go ahead. Yeah, we love Wadi and his playing, and you know he's the same guy back then as he is now. He was just like, boom, there he is. That's his style. <laughs> he could, you know, he was playing. It freaked us out because he was playing all this stuff, and we're going, man, these guys are great. And what it was, they were playing "I Dig a Pony," and he was. They were doing a lot of that stuff from. From the Let It Be, I Dig a Pony, and sure, and, uh, and just a weird songs that that they had learned from a bootleg because because the record wasn't out yet. So so they were playing this stuff for me. It was the first time I heard it, so I thought it was their songs, their material. So I said, "Hey man, man, those songs you got, it's just amazing, man." He says, "Oh man, we just learned all these songs from this bootleg from the Beatles." <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh man, no wonder they're so good. That that's so funny, man. Yeah, it's funny, man. But but you know, we've been tight ever since, and Wadi just became better, but not much. I mean, he always played that good. He would, always was that guy, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, it's also he's another one of those guys. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's just like he says what he needs to say, and then he and then he yeah. moves on. He, it's not he, he's never overly. There's never too much language going on. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a point with the with the greatest sound you can get, you know, and, and fat as anything. And uh, Keltner is the same way. I met Keltner in the in the early seventies, like uh, in the at the 
Sound City uh, days where I was hanging there trying to do my demos with Keith Olsen. Well, let's hold on. Hold on. This is really important. This is really important. So you you get out there. First of all, Tessie, what what was her last name? What was her last name? Cohen. Wow. So so, um, were you just sort of you know, hitting the street and, and knocking on doors to get, de- how do you meet Keith? I, I, you know, I, I, I regret it because oh, Keith, yeah, you know, it's yeah. another, another, uh, uh, like, a break it down. But you know, like, like the natural course of, 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 uh, of, of being in the right place at the right time without even wanting it. You know, it, uh, exactly. Our, uh, one of our roadies, Angelo, this guy from Puerto Rico, beautiful guy and he's still around as a wonderful guy so he was our, our our guy and and he moved he stayed with us for a while here in la and uh so we were living i think at that time around the beachwood area beachwood canyon area sure <clears throat> and uh one day he says man i just met these guys uh that you know one of them has a studio in the valley and he was saying man that we should that we should come and visit and stuff like that and, and, and listen to his, his, his studio because he put a brand new board in it and blah 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 so it was uh, Keith Olsen and his partner was Kurt Betcher who was a, uh, a, uh, a his friend uh, was a producer he had done some stuff with the association and other stuff like that yeah. so we went to see and I met Keith but it was a, a fluke that he met the, met them by walking down the street and getting into a conversation with them or something. Again, <laughs> this is just so I, random. I it's just unbelievable. Right. Yeah, it's a random thing. That's what I, the word I was looking for. Yeah. Random. So I ended up, and then Keith showed showed me the, the, the board and everything in the studio, and he was such a nice guy and such a into into the music that I that he uh, he said, "Man, you," I said, "Yeah, I got some songs that I want to." I want a demo and said, well, but you know, you should come and play them to me. So he called me one day and said, why don't you, you know, can you come today uh, to my house? We lived in uh, Cold Water Canyon somewhere. I said, sure. So I went there with this, with a Stratocaster guitar, no amp, you know, just the guitar. <laughs> you know, I, I, did. I said, well, I'll just sit there and, and, and I'll strum it really hard and I'll sing my song. You know? So, so I knock on the door and Keith goes, oh, come in, Jorge. And he opens the door. He says, hey, man, uh, I hope you don't mind. I have some friends of mine here. Uh, uh, is that okay? I said, sure. It's no problem. So uh, let me introduce you. This is this is uh, Lindsay Buckingham and this is Stevie Nicks. Oh, my they're, God. They're, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing some demos with them. And they were really pleasant. And I said, oh, nice to meet you. So I sat in the same couch as them. And I sang my three or four songs. Oh my <laughs> God! This is real. This is freaking great. Keith in front of them, who I didn't know from Adam. Right. So, right. But from there on, we became really close and really tight friends because Stevie really dug the songs I was playing, especially this one called "Kiss and Run." That she, she really dug the, the whole. Well, let, let, let me just—I I, want to be very clear for the record. This is merely my opinion, <laughs> and yeah. for a long time, I've been—I've been. I've been when I found this record, this city music record, um, and I listened to Kiss and Run, I said, I can't believe that that this this is the the hit song. But the one that gets played all the time is 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 uh, 
Fleetwood Macs, not this one, not the one that you put on that album, right? I mean, because to me, the original one on this album, Kiss and Run, with you, Waddy, Hoppy Hodges, Weeks, Smitty, and you know that that one is the is the best version ever, ever. Well, yeah, that was the song. That was the first one I played that day for Keith because I thought that was my my duck tune. I used to call it. This is the duck tune. This is a radio tune, <laughs> <laughs> dude. It's it. So, but I mean, I want to be clear though. Um, <clears throat> but first of all, it's the most ridiculous tune in the world, and it. And but yeah. I just want to be clear. The the one that was, res- the one that, the one that started to get all that radio play was the Fleetwood. The one that was cut on Tusk, right? Not the one that was, the one that came out on City City Music, or or was it? In I, fa- I, you know, I don't know because. That it took years and years. Uh, I mean, it's funny because both Lindsay and Stevie loved Kiss and Run, and I I wish I would have done their version of it, but they never did. What happened was that I was hanging out around Tusk, used to come visit them because we became very good friends. Even with the, with the, you know, when they joined Fleetwood Mac, which was later, right? Then I became friends with Mick and, and John and everybody and Christine. Uh, she rest in peace and. Uh, you know, Absolutely. we all became friends. So we, I used to come to the studio and crash, and oh, or, you know, it's, it would be like a party. And so, so Stevie was saying, "Oh, let's let's let's, let's fool around with Keith and Run and Christine. Oh yeah, let's do Keith and Run. I love that." So that's how that was. It was just fooling. I was singing the lead, but I was I was just. I mean, we were we were had been drinking or something. I mean, it was it was just really a jam on my song and I'm singing it, but Lindsay was there and I was thinking, well, maybe Lindsay should sing my part, but he was, oh, no, no, let's keep doing it. So that's, that's why it ended up on in a box set later on as a, as a extra bonus track. And God knows how it sounds. I think I heard it once and I went, oh my God, why did they put this out? But, but because uh, it wasn't it was, no, but I, I, I just, I'm sorry for my own they little. Could have done a good version. When, when when City Music came out in '75, were yeah. you hearing Kiss and Run on the radio? Uh, I'm talking about the one on City Music, not the one that was eventually like you were just talking about. Because to me, like the original one with that you put on with, like I said, uh, with Waddy, yeah, with, Hoppy, and Weeks, and Weeks like yeah. it, was that one the one that that. That, um, because that is an icon. I mean, that that version of it, I'm like, I feel like I've heard that one. That came out of that came out as a single, a 45 single, mono single, and uh, in 74, yes, Warner Brothers put it out before I even finished my album. I I recorded five songs at at Sound City with Keith that made, made it to the album. And then I recorded the rest of the album with Russ Titleman at the Warner Brothers Studios, Amigo Studios in North Hollywood. So, you want to talk just a little bit out, about like... They put out this single yeah. yes. in 74, and then a year to, uh, we took a year to finish the record, rest of the record, and then it came out. Um, so. <laughs> but do you, do you, like to me, uh, did, were there... I mean, this whole album is... I've been listening to it nonstop. First of all, Gadsden made me... What You Want to Hear. I was crying listening to that this morning. Gadsden is on fire. All the oh, yeah. faces, man. This album is smoking hot. But do you remember what that feeling was like for you, considering that you basically were driven to pursue a career in, 
inauthentic burning music like do you remember hearing that tune on the radio and and sort of just being like this because at that I, time I, yeah i never heard it on the radio it was it was a shame it was like uh like it just disappeared into whatever land i, I you know it never clicked i mean and i was thinking wow you know i've heard guys you know break into something with 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 lesser tune, you know, catchy songs than this, and they have a career. And here I am with something good, and it never. And then, and then that song, City Music itself, they put it on a on a best of the year uh, Warner Brothers record where they featured different artists, the Doobie Brothers, doing this, and that, you know, all the Warner Brothers people, and they included me as the opening song doing City Music. But that didn't go anywhere either. So that was a single too. So nothing, nothing happened for me, man. It well, it's weird. happening now, dude. This album is my one of my. I do my go, to, dude. I'm gonna be. This is just be to me. Music has really cumulative <coughs> results. I just want to go back for a second here. Can yeah. we? Can we get a little bit before? So you. So Keith called you to his home studio, and that's where you met uh, Lindsay and and uh, Stevie. And then yeah, it was in his living room, sitting on a couch. It's freaking so classic. But then it says in '73, you went in the studio and played percussion on Buckingham Nicks. Yes, yes, because we well, no, it uh, yeah, I, I guess so. It, yeah, we 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 became friends from that day that I met them. Right, and we started hanging out. Oh, you should come to my our place, and I went to the place and I you know, hung out. You know, we just just uh, sit around, play around, guitars and stuff. And uh, and then they said, "Well, we're doing this album, you know, Buckingham Nicks." And, and uh, do you do you do you know a drummer? Oh, I know what it was. He uh, Lindsay had heard the stuff I was doing, like Kiss and Run and other stuff <clears throat> that I was doing with Hoppy Hodges, this uh, drummer Gary. Hodges Dude, please tell please Dallas. tell me, is he still with us? By the way. I think so. Yes. Jesus, Hoppy, yeah. man, dude, that dude's sick drummer. Man. Ga Ga Gary, Gary, Hoppy, Gary, yeah. <clears throat> Gary. So, so uh, he still might be in Dallas, actually. So he uh, he he loved uh, the way Hoppy played. So he said, "Man, do you think you would play with our in our, on our record?" You know, and I said, "Yeah, sure." So I called Hoppy, and he hooked up with Lindsay, and he played on the whole Buckham next album. Unbelievable, yeah. dude. So, so it's another day. Lindsay called me and said, "Man, this song makes congas. I, I, you know, this little conga part. Do you do you think you can play it?" And I had I had never played a conga in my life, but I had I know kind of like the feel for it because of my upbringing. And I and I just went there and I just did some simple part on it, and they recorded it. And that was I didn't think two bits about it. I, I mean. Uh, uh, nothing. I don't even remember the song. I don't remember anything. All I know is that I did it. Talking to one of the most yeah. humble cats in the world right now, uh, Hori. I mean, I can't believe you're telling me you never played congas with the Latin with the salsa, the Latin bands you were in back in New York and no. stuff. No. Wow. No. I played bass and stuff like that, but you know, I used to play. If, if there was a breakdown uh, for the drums to do some rhythm part. And, little solo of some kind i would i would play a, a, a cowbell to go with it or maracas or something like that but never the congas i was always afraid of hurting my hands absolutely man yeah totally I said, man 
<laughs> you know, Luis Conte, my good friend, he tells me, oh, man, it, you know, if you hurt your hands, it's that you, you're not hitting it right. You know, it's like some people think they have to, like, really hit hard, and you don't. You just have, you know, and so he kind of, like, showed me what is the magic and the secret of the congas. That, yeah, you know, I mean, I know, and I know the, Luis is a, I mean, also, like, I mean, there's a reason why Mongo and those guys had their hands all taped up. I mean, you know, I've interviewed Pete Escovito from the, the Escovito brothers. Sometimes you just get too excited and, you know, you bust, you got to bust, you got calluses. Yeah, we start banging yeah. it because of, yeah, it's, it's in, it, you know, rhythm gets inside of you. And oh, you forget crazy, about but, it. But I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> So, but but where does this nutty comb come in, man? I mean, this is this is Lambert and nutty comb. Yeah. You know, the, 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 their claim to fame was that they had done uh, a live show in those years, and uh, they were a duo like Simon and Garfunkel. Right. right. So, <clears throat> really nice guys, and uh, their claim to fame was that they had done an outdoor concert where they. They did uh, their set in between Hendrix and Sly Stone. It was like all of a sudden Hendrix finished playing Landberg and Nutty Cone. Dude, that's what I loved about no, dude. It was the same dude. The Isle of Wight man is that Isle of Wight festival. Tiny Tim uh, came on, and who followed him out was Miles Davis Quintet. All right, it was just insane. How great that that to me is the magic of it. Well, that, that's those were the days yeah. that radio wasn't wasn't prejudiced like that. You know, there was everybody. You know, exactly. they, you know, you would have uh, uh, Jackie Wilson with a song, and you know, really weird stuff like that. And then Lawrence Welk will have an instrumental, and then and Mahavishnu Orchestra here. or something. Yeah, it's in, it was insane. It was in, it, yeah. and you play the whole side of the record too. <laughs> it was great. Everybody was was in one package. If you, if you see the Tammy Show, when you watch the Tammy Show. They have James Brown, they have the Rolling Stones, they have Jan and Dean, they had, you know, everybody was kind of together. I love, that's like, what I'm talking about. That's what I, I mean, yeah. that's what I, my fantasy is like, this is not, this could not possibly have really occurred. But again, Lambert and Nuttycomb in between Sly and Jimmy, there you go. There you go, man. Unreal, man. And they were laughing about it because he said, man, the wind was blowing. And we were going, what the, are we doing here? <laughs> that makes it even more classic. And, but so, so then, then how did you get called for the date or how did you, you got to know because those cats? Of, because of hanging out, doing my demos at Sound City with Keith. All of a sudden, oh, Lambert and Nicole are here. You know, they need this, they need that. It just, just being at Sound sure. City at the beginning of Sound City before it got, you know, like uh, blown up, yeah, too, too crowded. Yeah. yeah, it was too crowded. At the beginning, it was just Keith and his whims and his people that he was pulling in, and then uh, after that, it became you know people started coming to record, which is great. But I could, you know, tell you the truth, I could not watch that documentary that Dave Grohl made out of out of that. You know, maybe some other people can, but I couldn't because I knew Sound City. I was there in the beginning. I never thought it was like funky or nothing. It was a great studio. It was comfortable. The people were nice and everything. And, and then I watched the things and people going, oh, you know, it was just funky and the thing. And, the, and you know, like rock and rollers complaining about where they're playing. Dude, you know, if you, you know. I, I completely know what you're saying. And then they, they, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah. 
go 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 live the life of muddy water <laughs> dude totally you know, man and, and i playing, love it yeah, playing wherever wherever you can and and doing the right stuff that gets into your bones you know Try exactly stop whining about all this other crap exactly. jesus man <laughs> It's free. So, I mean, if you could describe the innocence of the early um, sound uh, <coughs> Sound City, what like yeah. for the record, like what what were that what was that in your bones? I guess maybe maybe the cool the thing that I get off on is just the idea of um, like was everybody in the same room hitting at the same time? Were there no baffles? Uh, to me, like that's the innocence of and the beauty of that of some of that time was just hitting live at no very sparse overdubs but i just want you to talk about the essence of that studio the, the pure um yeah the yeah, pure sound city the a room was was bigger and it was had a great sound especially for drums and stuff and uh and the control room was big with a with a, with a, a big couch you know and uh it, it's just i remember it being I, hey you know the the Fleetwood Mac, the first album they made with Keith Olsen, was done there, and everybody was happy. Nobody was complaining about anything. It was just a, a comfortable studio with a great drum sound, and Keith knew what he was doing, and he was a wonderful producer and engineer. And uh, and that's what it was. The vibe was great. Baffles, yeah, uh, just little ones. Yeah. You know, maybe to separate uh, the bass uh, uh, amp from, from the drums or something like that. But not not a big deal, and uh, it was just wonderful. I, I have really great memories of that place. And you just feel like over time it got overrun by a bunch of kind of, for lack of a better word, wankers, and then therefore it became. Well, there were a lot of good groups that went there, yeah. but but there, there were some people that were like you know, you know, oh man, I thought it was going to be great, and I came here, I was just disappointed. I'm looking at this documentary going, what? Are you kidding me? Oh man, dude! <laughs> I was thrilled to be there every day. I was thrilled, and you, I met Jim Keldner there, and, and uh, I, I met uh, different people. Uh, just wonderful memories. Well, let me ask That's you: all. How can you talk about the first time that you laid eyes on Jim Keldner? Well, he was—he was just. Uh, I heard him play, and uh, and he was—he was, he was a, a, a guy that was approachable and, and talkative. And, and uh, we just like was a musician, a pure, uh, natural born musician and friendly guy, and just like uh, you know, he was playing with Wolfgang Metz, I think. Uh, Dude, my dear uh, my Wolfie, man, Wolfgang Meltz, rest. He just passed away, Meltz. by the way. Rest in peace. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> but uh, I did some uh, epic. Dude, I playing with Gabor Zabo. That's who he was with. He was with this uh, Hungarian. Wait a minute. Hold on. Wait, wait, Jorge. Wait just a second here, yeah. <laughs> because I thought no, I knew very well that those cats and they they were playing with a keyboardist from the association, like Richard Thompson or something. But the thing is, you're telling me that in seventy, what year did you come out to to uh, California? I came out at the end of '69, October fourth. I came, and then so I, so you were, and so. In the by the early seventies, uh, Jim was still playing with Gabor at that time. Yeah, I think by by the time I ended up going to Sound City was around seventy one or seventy two. Sure, 
And and then we, we that's when I met, uh, they were recording with Gabor Zabo there. And I met the bass player. And uh, it was funny because he played with a pick. And I and it was funny because I, I didn't play with a pick. And I was like, wow, he's playing this stuff with a pick. <laughs> Dude, I, you, you and Wolfie are like my favorite. I love that you... You guys are my favorite bass players, man. I, I freaking love it, dude. He was amazing. He was that he was dude amazing. was, and he was so. I mean, dude, I I did a couple of similar to what we're doing. I did some of these legacy interviews with Wolfie, and his family was so touched. Uh, and and his granddaughters were like, he's had parts of his stomach removed. The guy had overcame cancer multiple times. Just iron came over in a in a in a boat in '58 to New York in a steamboat. I mean, dude, hardcore dude, man. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how I met Jim. And later on, ended ended up working with, with Jim. Like I, 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 like I said, I played with David Lindley Rayo X and started in 81, at the beginning of 81. And, uh, and then by 84, I think, uh, Jim Kelder called me and he said, you know, Jorge, um, I was wondering if you would be interested to to uh, audition for Ry Cooter because he's uh he just uh, fired his bass player Tim Drummond. And I say he fired him. Tim Drummond's a great, great bass player. I said, well, you know, it's just one too many drugs. Yeah, it had been it been a long time. Yeah, and I said, wow. I said, I don't know if I can follow those footsteps. And he said, no, man, like don't worry about it. Come to my house. And so I went to Jimmy's house. And uh, and Wright came in, and I we I had met Wright before at the Warner when I was doing my album. He was doing stuff at the other studio, so we knew each other. Uh, and then he uh, he said, uh, "Well, yeah, I just wanted to play a few things, and let's see." And so we play. Let's play something a rumba style. He played one of those songs that he does, and I played my bass. And okay, that's good. That's good. Let let me try this other thing. And he, really, he just played two different styles of songs for like less than a minute each. He said, yeah, that's good. Okay, I'm going back to the house. Everything's cool. And he, he, he left. And I got the gig. I love this. man. This is making my... You're making my year already, man. This is on... <coughs> going so I got into, into, into the Rise Band. And, uh, and we did a lot of stuff to, to the last tour of 1988. We did a lot of stuff together, uh, soundtracks and, and for movies he was doing, like the, you know, Crossroads soundtrack. And Absolutely. A lot, a lot of other stuff. Did you, uh, the, um, there's just one more thing on the, in the early 70s, the, uh, like, I guess this maybe was an Olsen, maybe a call, but Roger McGuinn, did you sing on one of his albums? I sang on, a, on one song that, he wanted a whole bunch of people singing, like a big, uh, a, not a choir, but a lot of folks singing, women and men singing this one section. And I ended up being one of those, that bunch. So that's, that's, that's the, I'm amazed when they say, oh, you play with Robert. I wish I would have met him because he, he wasn't there. Right. I'm like, this is so. I actually but met him later with, with Warren, my good friend Warren C. I, I met him one time with Warren, which was very funny. Well, no, listen, <laughs> I want to I wanna ask you something. <coughs> Jorge, you know... Yeah, I won't go there yet. No, 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 no. What I was going to say is we've just been cooking for 72 minutes. Can we do set two tomorrow, maybe? 
Yeah. All right, so I'll call it, we'll do noon, high noon Pacific tomorrow, set two. We got a lot more to get to, but I'm we're having a ball. I'm having a ball, man. Me too, man. Much love to you. I'll call you tomorrow. Okay, Jay. All right, Take dude. Care. Be cool. Later. Bye. Bye.